1: Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. You're listening to an
0: exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarin from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. And away we go. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. My name is Richard Serrett. This is The Conspiracy Show, broadcasting live from the Great White North, and our flagship station, AM 740, Zoomer Radio in Toronto. Howdy to everyone listening in on one of our, our growing list of U.S. affiliates, I think we're up to about 30 now. And, and speaking of which, I wish we had a drum roll. Uh, but I'd like to welcome a brand new affiliate, WLIP. WLIP AM 1050, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. Thanks, WLIP, for uh, including the conspiracy show as part of your weekly lineup. We are delighted. And I would love to hear from uh, Pleasant Prairians if that's what you're called, Pleasant Prairians in Wisconsin, the Dairy State. Uh, welcome to The Conspiracy Show, and uh, welcome to all of you listening on uh, the uh, the podcast as well. You know, I'd like to... Uh, my uh, intern, story producer, Albert, and I were talking about this before the show. We'd like to develop some kind of an app. Everyone has apps now. We need an app. Uh, so I, maybe I can enlist one of you all uh, listening. If you have uh, some experience with uh, apps, what we'd like to do is be be able to deliver the podcast, right to your iPhone or your smartphone, and, of course, uh, being a complete Luddite or a techno-peasant, uh, I do not have the uh, the wherewithal to figure that out. But uh, if one of you listening perhaps has some experience in developing an app and you'd like to assist, I would love to hear from you. And you can uh, send me an email at theconspiracyshow1 at gmail.com theconspiracyshow1 at gmail.com. We're also live streaming again tonight, Uh, the the program being offered as a hangout on air. And uh, the YouTube, or the link to the live stream on YouTube, is available on my Twitter feed, which is at Richard Serrett. At Richard Serrett. So if you go to the Twitter feed, scroll down a few tweets, it might be actually at the top, I think Albert refreshed that, so there's a brand new tweet at the top, and you just click on the link. And uh, incidentally, while you're on the Twitter feed, why don't you follow? Had a great time hosting the uh, the JFK special last night on Coast to Coast, and fellow Canadian Brent Holland uh, joined me in the first two hours. Uh, Brent uh, developed kind of a close relationship with JFK's, one of his biggest uh, supporters, uh, speechwriters, the man responsible for all of those immortal words, ask not what your country can do for you and so forth, Uh, Ted Sorensen. Brent holds the distinction of having been the last person to interview Ted Sorensen and some amazing revelations on the program last night. Hope you had a chance to listen in. Here's something I didn't know. Uh, Two days before the assassination, so we're talking November 20th, Dallas police apparently witnessed, I believe it was two men, They they had rifles with scopes. I don't know if they were loaded and whether they actually fired live ammo, but they were pointing these rifles with scopes at a parked vehicle, a convertible, don't you know, parked on the side of the road, somewhere in Dealey Plaza. And in the back seat of the parked convertible were two cardboard cutout silhouettes of two people. Sort of sounds like, oh, I don't know, a bit of a dry run for what transpired two days later. Duh, do you think? Wow, quite a uh, quite a revelation. Uh speaking of coast, I'll be uh, back on hosting December 13th and 14th, which Eastern time uh, would be the early hours of the 14th and 15th. And uh, on the uh, the uh the the early mornings of the 15th, uh December the 15th, I'll be joined by my good friend Victor Vigiani, executive director of Zealand News Network which is a news service dedicated to the compilation, distribution, analysis of uh, news relating to the disclosure of information concerning the extraterrestrial presence engaging the planet as manifested by the UFO phenomenon. And Victor will be with me uh, in, the, uh, in hours two, three, and four. So that's, uh, if you're in the Eastern Time Zone, that's 2 a.m., 2 a.m., December the 15th. And as it happens, Victor is here with me in studio tonight as well. Hello, Victor. How are you, my friend?
2: Just fine, thank you. Great to be here again.
0: We haven't spoken since my uh, Follow the Truth conference Mm -hmm. in Oshawa last week. Uh, Did you enjoy yourself? An incredible event. Incredible event. I
2: just uh, was really just sitting there all day long, watching and listening, as um, I guess an onslaught of information um, came forward in a way that I haven't seen it before done that way. And uh, every single one of the guests was captivating and compelling. And the thing that I guess it got me the most is everything was so different. You really hit a, you, ring, you rang a whole lot of different bells. And uh, you really attracted a lot of attention to a lot of different ideas and concepts that, you know, b- you know agree with them or not.
0: Uh, Some you, of it you've no doubt heard before. Don, course, yeah. Don Schmidt, of course, of course yeah. was there on Roswell. Yep. Jim Penniston joined mm-hmm. us via Skype and, and yep. uh, talked about Rendlesham. And, of course, you were in Washington a year and a half ago. Uh, for the, uh, the the citizens' hearing on disclosure, and, and heard and right. saw Jim's uh, testimony firsthand.
2: Yeah, yeah. His his testimony was uh, was was very very compelling, and you could tell that uh, it, having spoken to him in uh, in Washington in in May of 2013, uh, over a period of time over the five days that I was there, uh, a, a very tender man in terms of almost frail, with respect to the way he. Was doing what he was doing. He, he was definitely under a lot of pressure, and uh, he seems to have kind of gotten by that. But there's still some remnants of it in the way he uh, uh, put himself forward.
0: I don't think he likes to travel, which is why he did yeah. the uh, the conference by Skype. Yeah, yeah. It's I difficult. Think, yeah, I don't
2: think he likes a lot of attention either. To be quite honest with you.
0: No, never has. No. I mean, that's not what this is about for no, him. No. And you know, you just gotta you gotta drag this information out of him. Uh, he, he's not, you know, someone who is looking, as you say, for a lot of publicity, yeah. uh, 30 years, you know, since more than 30 years. And now he's decided, OK, well, I'll tell my side of the story and write a book. Yeah. But uh, it's certainly not yeah. about publicity and money. And yeah. for any of these people, of obviously. Course.
2: That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, as I say, a year and a half since uh, the citizens hearing on uh, disclosure down in Washington. And um, just a bevy of, of veritable who's who, really, from the UFO ET uh, arena gave testimony before members Uh, Former members of the United States Congress. There were six former uh, congressmen and women. And the whole effort, of course, orchestrated by the indefatigable Stephen Bassett, executive director of the Paradigm Research Group, who, of course, is a registered lobbyist in Washington and continues to work tirelessly uh, to end the 70-year UFO ET truth embargo earlier this month. He launched another initiative involving all of the testimony that's been made available now on DVD, and uh, Stephen Bassett is with us to tell us about that. Stephen, how are you?
3: Richard Victor, it's great to be with you as always. So,
0: uh, this initiative, uh, which began, I believe, November the 5th, involving all of this testimony that has been beautifully produced and and placed on DVD, what are you doing with this material, Stephen?
3: Well, the the DVD... Video record of the citizen hearing was shipped to the Congress on the fifth, uh, and by that I mean all 538 uh, offices of the House and Senate. Uh, each set has 10 DVDs in it, with uh, three hours, roughly three hours on each DVD. So, 30 hours of video record, and the uh, the uh, the Senate was shipped in bulk and would have arrived first, and then the house uh, was shipped media mail. So they just probably didn't start arriving in the offices until about, I'm going to guess, the 18th, 19th, a few days ago. And they'll be arriving all next week. Um, and at the same time, uh, the, the and these were non-commercial DVD sets, right? They were, they were created for the lobbying effort only. Uh, they didn't need to be commercial quality. <clears throat> but finally, and it's been a long time, it's been a very dull year and a half. Let's just leave it at that. Well, that's, an, right? expensive that's an expensive
0: endeavor. That's an expensive endeavor.
3: Not the least of which the U.S. Congress has had a bad year and a half, too, I should say. Uh, but the commercial quality of the CHD is available online now to download uh, at citizenhearing.org. And soon, the DVD sets, commercial, quality DVD sets will be available for purchase as well as to the donors that contributed to the editing campaign. So we're underway. Uh, we, we brought things back to life. Now, look, it took longer than I wanted it to. There's no question.
0: Yeah, it's been a year and a half since the the, uh, the hearing.
3: But I have to say that I did not really think that Congress <clears throat> could get much worse or things could get much worse in Washington and but they did and and the last year and a half has been just god awful and I'm not too um regretful of of having not dived into that uh in the middle of the mess because it has been one uh political hearing after another after another uh the usual gridlock and we're running a little late on, on, on this, on, on, on the initiative we launched, frankly, because there was a lot, lot of logistic issues still to be dealt with. And that's not too bad either because, uh, again, we had the immigration issue blow up uh, shortly after, well, in, since the election. I mean, com Congress, is, is a very quiet time. The politics cools off. The hearing, political hearings stop. Uh, the members go home. The staff is sitting around. And it's a good time to get in and meet with staff and so forth. But as you know, President Obama issued an immigration directive. So everybody got all fired up again, and then they went home. So <clears throat> as it turns out, I'm not going to start approaching offices until after Thanksgiving.
0: That was my after next question is, is uh, because you know there are some new members coming in, some members leaving. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the timing um, – are the new members that are coming in going to receive a, a copy, or are some of the ones of that are – okay.
3: Yeah, the, the, the new members coming in will be sent copies of the DVDs after – well, when they come in, which is after January the 3rd. However, the old members are still uh, in office until the end <clears throat> of the year. Their staff is still there, and if they're on the right committees, <clears throat> I'll probably approach those offices because there's still possibility to get support from them. Uh, and, and develop some interest and build a platform um, in these re- in the remaining, I guess, a little over a month.
0: So, how is this being presented to them? Are they just getting a box dropped off at their office with with these uh, ten CDs, thirty hours of testimony? Uh, how is it being presented?
3: All right. Each office is receiving a DVD set. There's a letter attached to it to the member, uh, signed by the, the witnesses of the citizen hearing, forty some signatures on there calling for uh, the uh, member to uh, review uh, this this record, this video record, calling on the office to meet with me and saying that these witnesses want uh, hearings. They, 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 they did the citizen hearing, now they want to come up on the Hill and under federal penalty of perjury tell the truth to the to an actual hearing.
0: Committee. That's key. Wow. Uh, yes. So Under federal penalty, penalty of perjury. This,
3: we've been running a social media campaign. Um, and that's what your listeners need to know about tonight for sure. This social media campaign is extremely important. The whole goal of it is to make sure the, the boxes, the DVD, DVD sets get opened okay. by, by staffers.
0: Stephen, hold on. We'll take it. a timeout. When we come back we'll talk yeah. about uh, the Twitter storm and the other aspects of this social media campaign. Stephen Bassett is with us, the executive director of the Paradigm Research Group and the man behind the citizen hearing on disclosure, which happened a year and a half ago, May of 2013. 30 hours of testimony now being presented to all the current members and uh, incoming members of the United States Congress. Victor Vigiani in studio, executive director of Zealand News Network. I'm back with more of the conspiracy show. Don't go away. My name is Richard Serrett. Welcome back to the conspiracy show, Richard Serrett, with you. And if you're uh, joining us on the uh, the live stream, watching us on the uh, the hangout on air, uh, I'd love to hear from you how you're enjoying it. And uh, you can drop us an email at theconspiracyshow1 at gmail.com. Do I have that right, Albert? The conspiracy show one. At gmail.com. Stephen Bassett, Executive Director of the Paradigm Research Group, is with us, uh, talking about this new initiative involving the 30 hours of testimony uh, from the Citizen Hearing on Disclosure, which took place back in May of 2013. And he's uh, here to tell us about the social media campaign designed uh, to, uh, to sort of uh, galvanize uh, uh, support and urge the, the, Congress, uh, the congressmen and women, all members of uh, the United States Congress who have received the 30 hours of this testimony on DVD, urging them to, t- to screen the material and then respond to it. Uh, Stephen, oh, Victor Vigiani, I should mention, Victor v- Vigiani, our uh, good friend, executive director of Zland News Network, is here as well. So uh, tell us about this social media campaign, uh, Stephen, and then I'll turn things over to Victor.
3: Well, sir, it's very simple. We need the the staff of the uh, offices to open the DVD set, look at it, not not watch the whole thirty hours, but look at any part of it. Frankly, uh, once that happens, the door opens, and uh, we can make, I think, pretty rapid progress. So, how do we get them to do that? Well, starting on March the fifth, we launched <clears throat> a social media campaign to send a lot of messages into the Congress. Uh, with the key, with these three points, one, we, uh, we, you've got DVDs coming. You've got a DVD set called The Citizen Hearing on its Way. We want you to look at it, too. We want you to meet with Paradigm Research Group lobbyist Steve Bassett, and we want hearings for these witnesses on the Hill, real hearings on the Hill. Three basic messages. So to, get, you know, to rehash just a little bit, the, the Citizen Hearing on Disclosure website is citizenhearing.org. There you can find and download and acquire the a commercial quality version of the citizen hearing from a year and a half ago. Now, the social media campaign is being run out of several locations. The primary one is factsonwashington.org, f a x on washington.org, factsonwashington.org. Facts on, on Facebook, the page is the Disclosure Lobby, the Disclosure Lobby. It's got the information there, and there's another website, disclosure.media. Media is an extension one of the new extensions, disclosure.media, you will also find the information there. Uh, And that information basically has the links so that you can go find, relatively easily find the the page, the top webpage for most of the members of the House and Senate, and there you can find their Twitter icon and their Facebook icon. So you hit on the Twitter icon and you tweet them, as many as you can. Now, uh, and and not once but wait a few days and tweet them again in other words you need to pop as many tweets as possible into these uh these offices all the way through uh the rest of this month, and well into November.
0: Are you still using the fax? Because people, lest they think that that's old technology, you know, emails <laughs> know, that's are...
3: that's the name of the site, but no, we're not using the fax.
0: Okay, because, you know, uh, some still do use faxes, and it's, it's a lot easier, for example, to erase an email than it is, you know, faxes tend to pile up on desks, and it kind of makes an impact.
3: Don't think of it that way. No? Let, me tell you, let me finish this thing, and I'll tell you why. It's cool. It'll work. It's all right. Um, the, um... um so you've got your Twitter. so people can tweet. And we have we have a bunch of sample tweets there, what they look like, you know, how to get the message across. Obviously, you can't get it all in one tweet, so you send several. And you wait a few days, and you send some more. And you hit, you hit as many members as you've got the time. I've got one person that has sent something like 20,000 so far. In any event, um, you also have the Facebook icon there. So you can pop on that, and you can go to their Facebook page. And you can post on it, these, these, this information. Obviously, you have much, you have, you're not limited to 144 characters. And uh, you can also message them on Facebook. By the way, the Twitter, the, the hashtag for all of this, for those that understand hashtags, is disclosure. Hashtag disclosure. Now, there's also links to their um, email form pages. Few, few, fewer and fewer members actually have email addresses, these form pages. So you can send emails to them. So we have three kinds of messages that are coming raining down on them in this media storm or tweet storm, whatever you want to call it. Tweets, Facebook postings and messages, and emails. Now, here are the rules. One, anybody in the world can send a tweet or a Facebook post. And when I was in Europe, I just recently did uh, 12 lectures in Europe, seven countries – and the enthusiasm there for this was as great as it was here in the U.S., and they, they're, they're all sending tweets and emails, or rather tweets and Facebook posts from Europe. Um, anyone can do it. Anyone in the world. There's no limit. When it comes to the emails, it's different. Uh, to, you can send an email through the form pages to any uh, of the senators, but you have to have a U.S. address. Uh, you can only send an email to your representative, Right, by putting in a an address in your district with a proper zip code, and unless you can come up with an address and the proper zip code for some other representative sec, uh, district, you you can't email them. They limit it that way.
0: Okay, so for our Canadian listeners, then you want to go through the uh, the Twitter or the, Twitter the, the Facebook page. option, right. and if for American uh, listeners, uh, choose your congressman or woman uh, that represents your district and use their email form if you choose to do
3: the email. And then, but town the Senate because you can you can email the entire Senate. You have to put a U.S. address in. All right, so that's that's how we're directing these messages. Now, why does this work? Well, you see, every every office has somebody designated to check everything that comes through on the Facebook page, on Twitter, and on email. Believe me, they check them all. And the reason they have to check them all is because you never know when something will come through which could be really important. Right, to, to, the, to the member, to their boss, in other words. In other words, if something is breaking out there, and you, you've, you've seen how this has happened repeatedly, something turns up on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, and, and, it, and it poses a huge problem for the member. And, and, uh, and several members have actually lost their jobs because of stuff that's developed in social media, so they follow oh, yes. everything. Now, something comes through, they re- it's not a big issue, you know, or immediately gets their attention, they look at it, it goes by. But when 100 or 1,000 come through on the same subject, they notice that. And it, that's when things get p- passed up to the boss, to the, to the chief of staff, and they make a decision, look, there's something going on here. What is this diss set about? What's going on with this? We need to check it out. So in other words, you're just hitting with so many messages over a number of days, a number of weeks, that they realize this is something they must engage so it's not about being able a race or not a race. It's about being hit over and over and over and over again. Now, to give you uh, – there's a one easy way. Uh, there's a number of ways to check Twitter uh, levels, uh, Twitter analytics, uh, many sites. But one I, I like is Topsy.com. That's T-O-P-S-Y, Topsy.com. If you go to Topsy.com and you click on the social analytics section at the top – and then you go ahead and search on the hashtag Disclosure Disclosure, you will see that on November the 5th, when this thing started, the number of disclosure uh, uh, tweets or dis- tweets with disclosure hashtag jumped up substantially, went up like 6,000, went up some high 12,000 a day, and then dropped on down, but it's been running between four and 8,000 a day since the 5th of November. So do the math. What's it? That's about 17 days. That's 100 and maybe maybe 100,000, over 100,000 tweets. And that's just those tweets that have the hashtag included. It doesn't count tweets that doesn't have the hashtag. So you can see just on that alone, we are definitely pounding them with messages, but of course they're also getting emails and Facebook posts. We need this to go on through at least the mid-December. And so we need people to get on board. FaxonWashington.org, FaxonWashington.org is uh, you can get the info you can go to the facebook page the disclosure lobby you can also go to the website disclosure dot media and uh, there's also a very uh... lengthy interview uh... that i did recently that gets into a lot of this and covers it uh... that people might uh, get some help from and that is it ivolvetv.com that's i-v-o-l-v-e ivolvetv.com forward slash auditorium or just dot com go to the auditorium section you'll see a Uh, uh, an interview by me where I get into this.
0: All right. Stephen Bassett is with us, the executive director of the Paradigm Research Group. In studio, Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network as we discuss uh, the latest initiative, this uh, social media storm to urge... Uh, the, the, the current uh, sitting members of Congress and those that will be coming into Congress uh, in, in January, in the new year, uh, to screen the material, some of the 30 hours of uh, eyewitness testimony uh, that was presented at the citizen hearing on, uh, on UFO disclosure back in May of 2013, Victor.
2: Yeah, Steve, you've, um, that's a good outline of uh, the process. I'm thinking back to the five days that I spent, you know, with you in Washington back in uh, early May of 2013, mm-hmm. and um, I, I watched in, in awe, literally, uh, as the the heads and minds of each one of those congressmen uh, or congress women and, and men, and yeah. the one senator, Mike Gravel, watching them literally do a 180-degree turn on the issues that were brought forward by people like you know Richard Dolan and A.J. Gavar and Stanton Friedman, you name it. It just keeps on going on and on. Right. And n- not only did they individually listen to the testimony and were literally gobsmacked by it, obviously, but one by one, they became convinced. But there was another process in in, in place during the five days, a little bit of cross-pollination and dialogue among these congressmen and congresswomen and the one senator regarding what was going on here. I guess my question to you is, what kind of cross-pollination, after all these emails and, and twi- uh, tweets and all of that go to these people in, in the thousands, what kind of, or would you assess, there might be the cross-pollination of, of Congress people talking to one another as members, saying, what's, what's all this about? D- are you counting on that kind of cross-pollination? And,
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Look, we basically sent 5,380 DVDs to Capitol Hill uh, to 538 offices that are staffed by about 10,000 people and all of them have computers all of them have access to dvd players and so anyone could look at this material now these people have lunch together they know they have friends in other offices many of the staffers have media connections that you know they that, that they go to right with when they want to get their members uh, word out and all that it's a giant network it's a huge network and we're dropping 5,380 dvds in the middle of this and then we're barraging them with emails, tweets, and, and Facebook posts to create clearly some sort of viral situation where they start talking to each other about this. I mean, that's the idea. And what, what they see, and this is where we have a shot. This is why we may have a shot to pull this off. They, they, they've been given something unprecedented. It's never been done before like this. What they have and what they will see is exactly what you said, they will see six former members of the Congress that were colleagues of m- m- many of these members. So probably the majority of these members have been colleagues, or one or more of these, these members. Two of them, uh, Lynn Wolfie and uh, Roscoe Bartlett, a Republican and Democrat, they retired just the January before the, the citizen hearing after, with 20 years. Uh, that's 10 terms in the Congress. So they're going to see colleagues of theirs with 80 years of tenure come into a hearing on 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 the most important subject in the world that has been suppressed by government policy of truth embargo basically on the fence on this issue not 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 biased toward it all uh skeptical even and they're going to see them profoundly affected by this testimony so it's going to take a huge amount of the risk out of the decision, ultimately, to hold hearings. But it also shows them that this, this may be the best opportunity that Congress has had a long time to do something profound, something that will grab the world's attention, something that will move things forward and reclaim from the American people the trust and esteem that they have squandered over the last 30 or so years, and then down to an 11% rating. So, the citizen hearing is the key to the door if we get them to look at it.
0: Now, further now, to I'm that goal. We're also going
3: to be doing a media campaign. We, we may have the. We're hoping to raise some money, hopefully at least $20,000, maybe from one wise, futurist person who wants this done, uh, to bring our, our publicist in so that she can work the entire three months December, January, and February. Uh, along with, of course, my media work, to to get the mainstream media on this as well. Now we had a lot of coverage for the Citizen Hearing. We had a lot of articles. If you go to the media section at uh, citizenhearing.org, you can see these articles. Uh, But that was a single event. This is a three-month endeavor, the most comprehensive effort ever to get hearings on the ET issue on Capitol Hill. Uh, So we have a lot of opportunity to get media coverage, to get on... on, uh, uh, network news shows and so forth or uh, talk shows
0: Stephen we're going into a break here just a yeah. quick question though a quick yes or no answer did you provide members of Congress with a sizzle reel sort of a, a highlights uh, reel if you will uh, at the sort of the top end of the 30 uh, for those that we know their attention span yeah. is there a highlight reel there for them yeah
3: no. that's no, deliberate Excellent. key information is right on the box and we want them to go in and see the process unfold the right. sizzle reel doesn't quite get it across. It shows you some highlights, you see, oh, something happened, you put it away, and you don't watch anything else. We want them to watch this testimony unfold.
0: Gotcha. All right, Stephen Bassett stays with us. Executive Director of the Paradigm Research Group, Victor Vigiani, Executive Director of Zealand News Network. See, we've got two executive directors, only the heavy hitters will do on The Conspiracy <laughs> Show. Stay with us. Hey, and we are back. Victor Vigiani in studio, executive director Zealand News Network, and Stephen Bassett, executive director of the Paradigm Research Group, were talking about his latest initiative, this social media storm, um, which is sort of working in concert with. Um, he, he he sent all the members of Congress, however, at Congress House of Representatives and the Senate, they've all received thirty hours of testimony from the citizens' hearing on UFO disclosure, which happened in May of 2013. And Victor, you and I were talking uh, off the air just during the break, yeah. how in, uh, the idea of having a real, a real hearing where these same witnesses would do it all over again, not so. It's, to me, the importance mm. isn't that they're speaking to current sitting members of Congress. To me, the key is they are under oath, under federal law. If they perjure themselves, I mean, they could do time. Of course. So if you're sitting there watching an actual hearing and these witnesses are saying these things under oath, to me, that's very powerful.
2: Well, when I saw that kind of happen at the citizen hearings that uh, Steve had back in, in May of 2013, the uh, it was a mock hearing. We all understand that. But uh, you have to be sitting there in the national press club and watching these people stand before they give their testimony and actually swear that what they're saying is the truth before these uh, you know congressional members. So when you but not a, under
0: federal law of purge?
2: of course not, no. But the, the whole idea what Steve did was to replicate that feeling, and he did a damn good job of it. Let me tell you, because you could feel the tension in the room, and you could feel each individual as they testified, um, and, and Steve can speak to this uh, that they, they did. There was a gravitas about what they said, why they were saying it, and when you you watch the, uh, the, the congressional members actually listen to it and, and make eye contact with, it, with the witnesses, you could see there was something very important going on. Now, if we can replicate that, if Steve can replicate that in real hearings and know that the people that are listening to this under penalty of law and if you perjure yourself, it's big trouble. I think there's a strong motivation behind people to come forward and for the, the congressional people to actually take it seriously because who's going to want to lie in front of
0: a, a congressional hearing? Well, that's the key, isn't it, Stephen, under penalty of loss, uh, an oath. Oh,
3: sure, but guess what, guys? I've got a treat for you. Are you ready? Ready. So I'm on the, I'm on the show, and there's somebody listening to the show, and they, they send me an email saying, Have you seen this article? So I immediately checked the article out. God, I love the Internet. And so what's happened here is the first article about the CHI, the Congressional Hearing Initiative, has hit the political press. It was in today's Washington Times, the Inside the Beltway section, which is very heavily read, uh, just by everybody that reads the Washington Times. This
0: just happened now while you were on this show? Someone sends you a link?
3: That's right. So I'm going to read you uh, what was in the Washington Times today in the Inside the Beltway section from the Always wonderful, Jennifer Harper. Uh, Heading, Aliens from Elsewhere. While Congress and the White House argue over illegal aliens, Stephen Bassett, founder of the Paradigm Research Group and a registered lobbyist, continues to demand that lawmakers and officials tell what they know about aliens, as in extraterrestrials. The determined Mr. Bassett already organized a citizen hearing on disclosure last year at the National Press Club. A DVD of the 30-hour-long close encounter between witnesses, six former congressmen, she meant congresspersons, law enforcement experts, and assorted journalists was sent to all members of Congress on November the 5th as a matter of fact. Mr. Bassett now says he will renew a renewed direct engagement with lawmakers and has organized an aggressive social media campaign among like-minded voters who also want answers about UFO sightings, alien technology, and other matters. Congress last addressed the issue in 1968. Hang on a second. It goes on. I'm just trying to pull up the next page. Here we go. Um, let's see. This, I uh, quote, this will be a concentrated three-month effort accompanied by a substantial media coverage. If Congress, congressional hearings are held, it is quite likely the truth embargo will collapse, Mr. Bassett predicts. Now, is there anything that she left out there? I mean, that is it. That is the exact... Uh, 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 description of what is going on in the Washington Times today. So now the game has begun.
0: Not a hint of of sarcasm or anything in that article. This is a sea change, wouldn't you say?
3: Well, no, no, no. There's been a lot of, plenty of articles about PRG's work and the Citizen hearing that did not have sarcasm. There were some that did. But I can tell you the vast majority of all articles about this issue, by and large, don't have sarcasm. Okay, but that is a, that is a
0: fundamental change in the approach of the media.
2: Well, I think with, with Jennifer, and uh, I've spoken to Jennifer a couple of times, and she is solidly aware of what's going on. And, uh, what oh, kind yeah, I
3: kept her informed for years. Yes. She's on top of it. She does her part. She, she reports properly what's going on, and uh, you know, we, we like her a lot, um, but, again, if there's going to be more articles. You see where this is going. That's the very first article. We intend to get as many as we can, and I'm going to try to get in every talk show there is. Um, we've got a hell of a story here. And um, um, so uh, th- this is, you know, for your audience, what's going down. And as I said, they can be involved. They can help make this happen because, and I mean, me, I don't want to, I, I really can't overstate this too much. If a committee on Capitol Hill decides that they will indeed allow these witnesses, not one or two or three to come up for a half day, I'm talking about 20, 30 witnesses or more coming up to testify over many days. Nothing unusual about that, believe me. That kind of comprehensive hearing, if a committee agrees to do that, it is possible it will trigger disclosure in and of itself because the media is going to get extremely worked up about that. No question, Once Stephen. Once they get worked up, things can move pretty
0: quickly. Absolutely. All right, one more time out. We'll come back. Stephen Bassett, Paradigm Research Group. Victor Vigiani, Zeland News Network. The citizen's hearing on UFO disclosure being taken to the next level. We'll discuss further when The Conspiracy Show continues. Don't go away. And uh, we continue on with our discussion uh, with Stephen Bassett, the executive director of the Paradigm Research Group, and his efforts, of course, to end the 70-year UFO truth embargo. In studio, Victor Vigiani, the executive director of Zealand News Network. And uh, we were talking about the uh, the media coverage. Uh, You mentioned an article... Uh, in the Washington Times uh, by Jennifer Harper, a hard-nosed journalist who wrote about your efforts, Stephen, and what's going on, uh, this media, this social media campaign that you're launching. And she wrote a, a solid, credible piece without a trace of sarcasm. And, Victor, you had an excellent point about what Jennifer Harper's role could be in this whole thing.
2: Yeah, I th- just uh, in speaking with her before, and we exchange emails all the time, and, you know, we, we've always sort of... Uh, um, you know, kind of exchange ideas as to, you know, what Steve is doing, why he's doing it. I, I, I kind of think that could, it could be uh, that uh, Jennifer could be the, the Woodward or Bernstein of this, that she's uh, supplied some, you know, poignant information and can cut through some of the uh, the glass ceiling that she's exposed to. And, uh, and she's obviously being allowed to write about this, but how intrusive, you know, will her articles be and how much more of a push could she uh, exert to get these things, um, these hearings brought forward, just by simple pressure on her part, and we all know what kind of pressure journalists can and do have on political figures.
0: What do you think, Stephen? Is Jennifer Harper your Woodward or your Bernstein in all this?
3: No, no. Uh, we don't want to load her up too much. She she uh, she does the uh, she does the inside the Beltway column, which uh, covers lots of stuff, and her role is to let people know, stuff is coming down the pike. All right, give them a heads up. Um, he's not an investigative journalist in that sense. Now, understand, another nine journalists in, uh, in Washington received the set of DVDs about a week ago, uh, carefully selected. So uh, more, a few more, we'll get them soon. Then DVDs are going to go out to certain members of the White House, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm letting things develop you know, in an appropriate way. Uh, this is just the first article. But I'm just saying that this tweet storm, and again, the the power of social media is continuing to demonstrate itself every every month. You always see something. It is it is a it is the engine that is it is a engine that can drive almost any issue if people are sufficiently motivated
0: well if it can bring a regime in egypt to its knees surely it can convince uh, some congress uh, people to uh, to open up a box and, and uh, sit in front of a tv or their dvd player for a couple of hours give us some insight stephen on how easy or difficult would it be uh, for a an official congressional hearing on this subject to be uh, called how difficult well, or easy this is the
3: reason you see i believe that if we can get hearings we can probably get disclosure pretty pretty quickly thereafter uh, and the reasons for that are many, but again, when the media is confronted with the prospect that dozens of witnesses of rank and station, not just anybody, now, you know the kinds of witnesses we're talking about, we call them military political agency witnesses, rank and station people, like Edgar Mitchell, like Paul Hillier, former defense minister of Canada, like pilots and former captains in the Air Force uh, SAC. Uh, operations, uh, and so forth. So forth.
0: The guys that guard the nukes.
3: Yeah, when, when the media is confronted with them actually going on the Hill and testifying under, under oath, that's it. They are going to jump in, and when the media jumps in, there are a thousand questions that they could ask, and the government does not want to have to answer those questions, and probably the ball game is over. And then the other cool thing about it is media, e- e- hearings are very easy to get. It's very difficult to pass a law. Believe me, and you want to get a law passed, my friend. Well, welcome to it.
0: I've seen Mister Smith goes to Washington. I know.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's even harder than that. Uh, it, it's got to go through the House, got to go through the Senate. It's got to get through the committees and be voted on. All, all, a hearing is nothing. They can pull. They can call a hearing in a day, and they've done it. Right? Something will happen, and the Senate will will say we're having a hearing Wednesday, and get X number of people up here. Uh, immediately, and they can do it. So, and, and, and any committee can call a hearing any time. There's there's no vote necessary. The committee chair pretty much decides. Okay, let's get to Victor
0: Victor again
3: in here.
2: W- would there be a specific committee uh, that, that you there would are have your eight eye That I'm looking at. Which, which ones are there? Are the key ones? Would you figure? Well,
3: uh, uh, the, four, the four most uh, appropriate would be the two science, technolo- space science and technology committees. And the two intelligence committees, they would be the most appropriate. There's about another four, and we're just going to focus on those here, uh, committees, and we're only going to focus on those members that sit on those committees. Obviously, I can't approach the whole House and Senate. We're going to focus on the people sitting on those committees with the idea to ultimately convince enough members of a committee to pressure or persuade the chair person to go ahead and pull the trigger and call, these, call this hearing together. And then the other cool thing about it is that, remember, all we're asking is for them to, to to listen to testimony, to sit and listen to testimony under oath, to get important information that they could make decisions about. We're not asking them to declare their view on the issue. We're not asking them to go in front of the press and say what they think about extraterrestrials, one way or the other. Don't do anything. All we have to do is let the witnesses come
2: and testify. Because there is precedence here, Steve. We, we know you and I both know. In 1968, that the, the symposium on, uh, on UFO um, inquiry before a committee. And the, the really interesting part about that, and I think your listeners, our listeners, should really um, take this, take stock of this, is that one of the people who introduced Alan J. Hynek at the uh, actual symposium. Was Donald Rumsfeld, senator at the time. And I think there is precedence oh, is that for. Right? I yes. Didn't know that. Yes, he introduced uh, Alan J. Hynek at the 1968 um, Congressional uh, Symposium on a Study of UFOs. There's and another I,
3: thing that's very cool about that, in that one of the people that submitted a paper to that hearing uh, also testified at the citizen hearing, and of course that's Dan Friedman, 45 years later, still at it. But let me be clear while that hearing brought some, you know, was legitimate. There was legitimate information that was presented. It should have been followed up on. That's not what was going on, though. Uh, that hearing was done so the Congress could say they had a hearing. Shortly after that, as you may recall, uh, they announced the results of the Condon Report shut down project, blue book, and said, we're out of the UFO business. And they haven't had a hearing since. And you know how many sightings there have been and how much evidence has emerged since 1968? I can assure you that those in the government who are uh, tasked with managing this issue know full well that certainly since 91, the truth embargo could not withstand a a proper congressional hearing, not three people and a half a day, 30 people over an entire week. It couldn't withstand it. And so every effort to get hearings, the, the only ones I know about are since 92, and there have been many, have all been stopped cold. But this one's not being stopped. I have not been blocked. The witness has not been bothered. Uh, it's almost like they're saying, "Hey, if you can do it, do it." So we have a shot here.
0: All right, Stephen, give us the details on how people can uh, participate in this social media storm. All
3: right, they need to go to faxfaxonwashington.org, or they can go to the website disclosures.media, or they can go to the Facebook page, the Disclosure Lobby. They will find information and links, right? That will tell them the basic message they need to send to the U.S. Congress. That message is: you got some DVDs that have been sent to you. We want you to look at them too. We want you to meet with the lobbyist Stephen Bassett to discuss the citizen hearing content in those DVDs, and we want hearings for these witnesses on Capitol Hill. Now, uh, and you also will get the links. You'll have a link that will make it fairly easy for you to find all the pages of the members of Congress and then find their Facebook icon and their, their, their Twitter icon so that you can tweet uh, the two-thirds of the House and Senate that have Twitter accounts, and you tweet them messages asking, you know, not one, not two, but a number of messages. Double up, do it, repeat them every four days. doesn't matter. They can't keep track. Just keep raining tweets down. I'm saying we want this DVD set opened. We want you to meet with Bassett. We want hearings and hashtag at disclosure the same thing in your facebook uh post messages or posts on their facebook page and you can do every all the members that have facebook pages and twitter accounts you can do that and also there are links to uh where you can easily get the uh, email form pages for all, for for all the members of the house and senate you can email the entire senate you can email your congressperson and email them as long as you want but make keep it to the point and then wait a week and email them again. We need to rain emails, tweets, and Facebook messages down upon them. That's why it's called a social media storm. Uh, all through the rest of this month and at least halfway into December.
0: Okay, give us the links.
3: Uh, again, Facebook um, F-A-X on Washington.org, Disclosure.media, uh, and, the Facebook, I'm sorry, uh, and the Facebook page, the Disclosure Lobby. And you can find information about the citizen hearing at citizen hearing. Dot
0: org. All right, Stephen, we'll uh, have you on again uh, in the next maybe month or so and track uh, the progress, and uh, congratulations on this initiative. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, I don't know, I just sense uh, you're really moving the ball forward on this one. Uh, it's All just, right, so we got
3: a shot here. We want everybody on board, and that includes Canada. Get, join the tweet storm, Canadians. Do your thing.
0: All right, Stephen, thank you so much for this. All righty. Stephen Bassett, Executive Director of Paradigm Research Group. Well, Victor, I mean... Uh, I'm I'm impressed at the mm-hmm. how uh, people like Jennifer Harper. Now he says she's not an investigative reporter, but uh, yeah. a, and I was corrected. I I, I assumed that uh, for the most part mm-hmm. the the mainstream media continues to approach the UFO ET uh, subject with ter- uh, tongue firmly planted in cheek, with a bit of sarcasm. But that's mm-hmm. not that's not true. There is a sea change that's happened here.
2: It's more. of, um, I, I guess they're, they're, it went from ridicule to tongue in cheek to just simply avoiding the issue, taking it seriously, but avoiding it. A lot of journalists that I, I speak to said, yeah, there's something going on there, but uh, we just don't want to cover it. No. So we've moved forward now in, into another era of understanding, and whether there's a collective consciousness among journalists you know, going at this kind of stuff, they're eventually going to pick up on it. But with, they're
0: writing about it in a serious way. That is a monumental yeah.
2: leap forward. Yeah. And people like uh, uh, Lee Spear. Uh, uh, Lee Spiegel at right. the, at the uh, Huffington, Huffington Post. Post yeah. right. uh, Lee's done a great job with this, I and mean, he covered all five days of the hearings, and I've, as I've always said, he's got, I, I think, the best coverage written down about yeah, it day it's, by day. But you day. know,
0: the it's, it's Huffington Post, very influential, yep. but it's online. When you yep. have a hard copy, like the Washington mm-hmm. Times, yeah. inside the Beltway column, writing about this in a serious manner, that is a huge change. It's, yeah, it really is. What do you, what do you think uh, Stephen's chances are of getting an actual? hearing in Washington with some of these same witnesses on UFOs? I'm not even
2: going to say 50-50. Uh, I think it could, be, it could be greater than that. I think it's, there's a good 7 out of 10 chance that, that he could pull this off. I really, really believe that because of the, the amount of support that he just might get for this and the cross-pollination among some of these members of Congress uh, that could happen. It's, it's, it's going to go. It's, there's just been too much pressure on this to stay put. There,
0: could and, we see a citizens hearing on Parliament Hill Victor?
2: Hey, you never know what Z Communications can do with a little bit of information.
0: Victor Vigiani, I appreciate your time as always. It's a pleasure. Hope you're enjoying our uh, hangout on air. Would love to hear from you. Just email theconspiracyshow one at gmail.com. Let Albert and myself know. How are you enjoying the live stream? The website, richardsarah.com, your portal to the program, and as always, follow the truth. Hey, uh, thanks uh, uh, once again to WILP 1050 AM in Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin, which is really part of the greater Chicago uh, market, uh, for adding us to your roster. And uh, add WILP 10:50 a.m. to our a uh, list of our growing list of affiliates, and uh, as I say, part of the greater Chicago market. So the conspiracy show now slowly starting to work its way into some of the major urban centers in the United States. And uh, a big thanks to uh, Chris Whitting and his team at Syndication Networks for the great job they're doing in building our our little uh, burgeoning conspiracy show network here. As I say, about 30 markets now in the U.S. and growing. Just a reminder, we are live streaming this on YouTube as a hangout on air. And if you want to watch the live stream, just go to my Twitter feed at Richard Serrett. And uh, scroll down. Uh, actually, I think it's right at the top of the, uh, of the, uh, the Twitter feed. And uh, the, the the tweet there contains the link to the live YouTube stream. You just click on it, and voila, you are there. If you want to check out the archived stream later... You can go to uh, the conspiracy show with Richard Serrett, and uh, we've got a YouTube channel there, and you can watch the the archived live stream. Last Sunday, after my Follow the Truth conference, uh, Doctor Douglas Cottrell, uh, the man with X-ray eyes, Canada's Edgar Casey, a good friend of mine, we went down to um, down the street from the Regent Theater in uh, in Oshawa uh, for dinner, and. Uh, we ended up at an Irish pub called Riley's and I must say for an Irish pub they make a pretty fine gyros Uh, lamb man succulent lip-smacking lamb gyro who would have thought it Uh, anyway uh, Oshawa if you've not been it's a it's a a university uh, college town it's really you know moving in a different direction it's not just uh, you know about cars anymore And uh, so while we were there having our uh, dinner, it was quite a few students hanging out uh, at the pub, and someone in the booth next to us pulls out a deck of tarot cards. And I have to tell you, I know next to nothing about the tarot. A truth be told, uh, a little wary of tools of divination. You know, I I think I've stated it publicly on the air. I, I, uh, I, I avoid, even as a youth, I didn't mess around with the Ouija board. Uh, and I had friends, I used to work on the road with uh, for an engineering uh, company, and a good friend of mine, Bill Guscott. Bill, if you're listening, hello. It's been too long. Get in touch. Uh, but uh, uh, Bill and I were roommates on the road, and he, as I recall, was pretty uh, heavily into the tarot. And all I remember is, you know, these enigmatic pictograms on the cards, and, you know, you're, you're familiar with some of the more common ones, the juggler, the hanged man, death, of course. Uh, and some of you may use the tarot as a tool of divination. Some of you may be wary of the tarot's roots in the occult, and maybe you uh, you just avoid the tarot. I don't know, but regardless of how you approach the subject, I felt it was high time uh, that we discussed tarots on the program, the tarot. And and my guest tonight, well, let's just say we go right to the top. We always aim to get the most qualified, the most esteemed experts on the program. And when it comes to understanding the tarot, few are more qualified to discuss than Rachel Pollock, who is considered one of the world's foremost authorities on the modern interpretation of the tarot. She's also a poet, an award winning novelist, and a tarot and comic book artist. She's published uh, 12 books on the tarot, including the seminal work 78 Degrees of Wisdom, which is considered a modern classic, and the Bible. Of tarot reading. If I can use those two terms in the same sentence, or those two words, Bible and tarot, uh, it's a marriage of common sense, wide ranging knowledge, and esoteric aw- awareness has inspired many tens of thousands of readers worldwide to a deeper knowledge of the tarot. She's a member of the American Tarot Association, the International Tarot Society, and the Tarot Guild of Australia. With fellow tarot author Mary Greer, Rachel has taught at the famed Omega Institute for the past 15 years. She's been conferred the title of Tarot Grandmaster by the Tarot Certification Board, an independent body located in Las Vegas, Nevada, as a fiction writer. Rachel has been bestowed many honors and awards, among them the famed Arthur C. Clarke Award for Science Fiction for Unquenchable Fire and the World Fantasy Award for Godmother Night*. She's a recommended member of Penn International and has written for numerous publications. My, my, we are in good hands tonight. Rachel, welcome aboard the Conspiracy Show. How are you?
1: I am great, thank you. for a wonderful introduction.
0: Can you give me a complete neophyte in this area, a five-minute crash course on the tarot? How does it work?
1: Okay, well, um, how does it work is a big question. <laughs> um, I have to. Whenever someone asks me that, I'm reminded, did you ever see the comic um Irwin Corey, Professor Irwin Corey, years ago, he would, he would come on in this sort of sloppy outfit, just this, this, like tuxedo and, um, and sneakers, and he would give this sort of rambling, comical lecture. And he goes oh, yes, yes, yes. Now, yes, Johnny the sneakers. Uh, Renno, yes,
0: right? yes.
1: Now yes. I remember. Yes. And they were always surprised. So they would always say to him, why do you wear sneakers? And he would say, you ask a two-part question. Why is plagued philosophers through all time? We'll to do this for a minute or two, and then you say, Do I wear sneakers? Yes. <laughs> so when people say, How does the tarot work? I always want to say, You ask a two part question. <laughs> because, I mean, those of us in the world of tarot, you know, we don't really have answers, and anyone that pretends to have an answer is kind of faking it, I think. People bring in, like, large theories, they talk about um, quantum physics and entangled particles and Carl Jung synchronicity. Um, but no one really knows what's going on except that you, you take a bunch of random pictures, as you said, pictograms, and nice i way to discuss it, actually, and um, mix them up. And somehow the pattern that they fall into is like a tiny reflection of the person's life issues. And sometimes, and sometimes it's general. So, you know, someone is asking about why she or he doesn't have a partner, And it goes into issues of, um, you know, loneliness and issues of parents having had a bad marriage, so there was a bad example. You know, this will all be true, but it won't be like a surgical precision. But then sometimes, especially when there's a real need, when it's a big issue for a person, the card that comes up will be unbelievably accurate. Right. Right. It will be like the one card in the deck that really gives this person the message that they need to hear, and I just think that that's you know a phenomenal thing.
0: Well, d- describe some of the, the 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 more common pictograms we're familiar with and and what they what they mean. I mean, it's it's not like uh, 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 Sigmund Freud said, you know, a, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Not so with the terror, no, right? No, I mean, all, yeah, death so is not death topic, necessarily.
1: Yeah. Well, what's interesting is that you know part of our quick quick, five-minute tour would be a little history, which is that a lot of research has gone on in recent years and it seems pretty definite that the tarot actually began as an allegorical game in northern Italy in the early part of the um, 15th century, like 1430 or so. Um, and using images that mostly people would recognize, was like a pope, an emperor, and so on, but also some more mystical ones, like um, someone peering at the stars, or um, to, you know, someone in the bright sunlight or someone flying through the sky. Very beautiful images. And they captured the imagination, but for a while they were used mostly as a game. And we don't have any real evidence of them being used for divination, but it seems impossible that they weren't. Because everything that is used for game is used for divination. Um, so, you know, anytime you have a pack of cards, people are going to start doing divination with it.
0: And why 78 cards, Rachel? Why well, 78?
1: Well, because um, that's an interesting question. You know, it's a little hard to pinpoint how that happens. Um, but the thing that makes tarot special is it has an extra suit. So there are four suits. And in tarot, the suits have their old-fashioned names, of course, uh, wands, cups, swords, and coins, or sometimes today pentacles or discs. And... So they're almost the same as playing cards in the old decks. The modern decks all have pictures on every card. So in the modern decks, for example, um, the four of cups is likely to show someone sitting next to a tree, and looking at three cups, looking kind of unhappy. And then there's a another cup coming from a cloud. <coughs> Excuse me. In the older decks, it would just show four cups. So it would be pretty similar to playing cards. Um, there was an extra card in the suit called a knight, um, instead of just So instead of Jack, Queen, King, there'd be Jack, or sometimes Page Knight, Queen, King. But otherwise, they were like playing cards. So anyway, but what made Tower special was this extra 22 cards. These 22 cards are now called the Major Arcana, which means, Arcana means secrets. Um, and these were the symbolic pictures. And just as a game, the idea seems to have been, um, if you want to play a game like Bridge for like, you know, one suit is Trump, which just means it triumphs, it triumphs over the cards, it'd be more fun to have a permanent Trump suit and to have that suit be beautiful, and to have that suit be incredibly symbolic and rich and layered, you know. So that's what made the tarot tarot, those 22 cards. And over time, they became more and more deeply symbolic, more and more kind of a spiritual lesson, and also, obviously, more and more available for interpretation and then the um, so-called minor account of the four suits also became more available for interpretation especially when a hundred or so years ago a deck came out called the Rider deck which is the most famous tarot deck in the world that had pictures on every card like about that four of cups they were telling you about that man sitting next to the tree and so on so now you could actually look at the four of cups instead of having some automatic answer in your mind okay, what's going on in this picture? Well, someone seems unhappy. Is he unhappy? Is he bored? And a lot of tarot readers will actually ask the client, when the card comes up, so they'll say, look at this picture. What's this man doing? What's going on with this person? And this goes against the image that, you know, we've been taught of the completely psychic tarot reader that we see on television who says everything. And the client never says anything. And, but a lot of times in modern tarot, people will have the client interpret the picture to a certain extent.
0: It's more interactive, right.
1: Yeah. And because it just says a lot about the person, you know. There's a card called the Seven of Pentacles in that same writer deck, which shows a man leaning on a hoe. He's a gardener, and he's looking at a bush of some these sort of stars growing on it, you know. And people look at that, and one person will say, I always say to the people, you know, what is this man's attitude? And one person will say, well, he's really tired but happy his work is done for the day. The next person will say, well, it's morning and he's looking at all the work he has to do and he's horrified at how much work there is. <laughs>
0: half, half full, so, half so empty.
1: You something, you know?
0: Right, Rachel, listen, we've got the music uh, percolating up here, okay. we're gonna, which means we're uh, going to ease on into a break. You stay right. put, we'll come back, and we'll continue to discuss tarot and divination okay. with an expert. Uh, well, we only bring you the best here on The Conspiracy Show, Rachel Pollock. Is with us. The book is 78 Degrees of Wisdom, Parts 1 and 2. Don't go away. And we're back and we're learning about the tarot as a possible uh, tool of divination. Fascinating, a 78 card deck. And of course, we're all familiar with uh, some of the major uh, pictograms like. Uh, well, the juggler, Uh, there's also the hanged man, which is kind of a misnomer. Uh, Explain what the hanged man looks like, because it's not what we, you know, the image that we conjure up is, you know, someone on the end of a noose. It's not that at all, is it, Rachel?
1: No, no. It's a man who's tied by one leg, so he's upside down. And he's tied to just like a, kind of like a um, T-shaped thing. Well, actually, it's like a, whatever, it's just, you know, tied to a crossbar. Um, So it's not a noose at all. And he's tied by his ankle, and then his hands are behind his back. Um, we don't know if they're tied or not. They could just be behind his back. And the other leg, the leg that's not tied, is crossing the leg that is tied. So it's like, like a figure four, um, which is like, you know, you know, a man standing on one foot with his other foot crossed behind his knee. And the zip is upside down. And it's a very interesting card because um, some people find it a card of being stuck, having to sacrifice something. They, they find it very dire, but I find it very beautiful because in the deck I use the most, um, his face is filled with golden light. So it's a kind of it's kind of initiation, it's attachment to your own deepest values. I often think I often imagine a kind of intervention, you know. So there he is, he's hiding from his tree and his face is filled with beautiful light for he's having visions or something. And his friends come and they say you really should come down from the tree. That's not a good thing to be doing. You should go back to work. (laughs) And he says, well, thank you very much for sharing, Uh, because he's beyond criticism. So it can mean your own values, doing what you know know is best, believing in yourself. Um, Sometimes it can mean you have to do nothing for a while. You have to just let things develop because there's nothing you can do for now. I don't know if you know the Chinese... um, in Japanese, divination system, the I Ching, yes, yes. which often tells you to do nothing. It says It's not the moment for action. Just don't do anything.
0: Don't do anything. Yes, you know, I'm I all meant, about the I Ching. I
1: could be saying, you know, do nothing at the moment because there's nothing that can be done. Just wait.
0: Yes. Now, now, the death card, uh, it, it rarely or probably never indicates physical death, correct?
1: Well, sometimes it does. Uh, but, you know, it, it does where death is in the air, in a certain sense. So, for instance, you know, I did a reading once um, for, you know, someone who had a relative in, a, in an old age home who's near to death. A death card came up, so it was pretty clear. It was, you know, addressing the issue of this person's final days. The um, fascinating reading I did once, I did a reading for a Swedish man who was doing AIDS research. And um, one of the key cards in the reading was death, was called reverse, which the card comes up upside down. So it was literally saying the possibility of his research reversing death from AIDS. It was, um, I never found out what came of it, you know, but I hope that he was part of the, you know, the medicine that really has helped a lot of people.
0: But it um, would be, I, would, I would guess that it would be irresponsible uh, for a tarot card reader to pull up the death card and then suggest to the person who's having the reading that, you know, they may be dying or have some well, physical illness.
1: Well, see, normally I would never do that. Because it's just that's taking too much responsibility, right? Exactly. You know, um, you know. Sometimes you feel like you just have to because there's so much else that's supporting it. You know, there's a card that looks like a funeral and so on. But the death card, normally, really though, it just means the end of something. And what and is it the... means the end of something that you really should let go of? Right. You know? Change like a bad marriage, a job that's a dead end job. So it's really kind of telling you a message: It's saying, look, you know, what you're doing now isn't helping you. It'd be better if you just let go of it. What about the devil card, Rachel? That's fascinating. The devil card's really interesting, you know, because it can mean a lot of things. One of its meanings is addiction. Um, So if it it comes with other cards, you know, there's a a suit called cups. And sometimes if the devil comes next to the king of cups, I might say to someone, is there any question of alcohol in the situation, you know? Um, But, you know, the devil card means to be trapped in some way. It means to feel like you have no choice in life, you know, and it's an illusion. It's a fake because the people in it are chained around their neck, but the chains are big enough that they can take them off and walk away. So the devil card, you have to look beyond it. You have to say, okay, I may be feeling trapped in life. I may feel everything is dark, but that's a mistake. You know, there's, there's things I'm not seeing. Then you look at other cards and say, well, what are you not seeing? What can you be looking at? I will take you beyond this devil, you know.
0: So the, the effectiveness uh, or the quality of a tarot card reading is really dependent on the person who's interpreting the tarot. How, do you, how does one learn to do that?
1: Well, for me, it was, I just started doing it. I got a deck of cards in 1970, and I got this little book that came but didn't come with it, but I got the book in the same store. Um, and I would, you know, learn how to gave I'd do a reading, and I just started doing readings. I'd put a card down, I'd look it up in the book, but then I would sort of, like, you know, make connections, take off from there, maybe make up a story about it. But the, some of those readings were phenomenal, you know? I knew nothing, basically. And yet, I discovered, for instance, all my friends were having affairs. <laughs> it was, Seriously? It was really embarrassing at times, you know?
0: You discovered that your friends were having affairs through the tarot.
1: Yeah, yeah. So some married friend of mine would say, oh, can you read my tarot cards? And I'd say, sure. I'd put the cards out, and there it would be. It would be so obvious this person was having an affair. And then we would talk about it, and, uh, you know, they would say, yes, that's true, that's what's going on, you know?
0: Well, what was the card that came up that convinced you?
1: It should be a combination of cards, you know? Um, It might be like a card that, you know, a marriage card, say, upside down. It might be a card that means a new relationship, um, a new lover. There's actually a card now um, in modern tarot use called the Seven of Swords, which shows a guy tiptoeing away from a tent, having seemingly stolen a bunch of swords, and he's like looking back, smirking. And a lot of people now see that as the card that signals someone's having an affair, Um, that specific card, um, one of its meanings. But so, you know, I did that. I also helped two people um, evade a lawsuit they would have lost, because it's a long story, so I won't go into it, but they had worked for a boss who was harassing them, two women, and he really was beyond the pale, And so they quit because they couldn't take it anymore, and they were thinking of suing him. And um, he was a red-haired man. And I did a reading for them, and the justice card came up upside down, which can mean that justice is not going to happen. And then the next card was the Five of Swords, which shows a red-haired man defeating two people. So I said to them, well, it's your choice. I'm not going to tell you what to do. But the cards are saying, if you go ahead, you're going to lose Justice will not be done. You will lose. And six months later, the next two women sued him for the same kind of, you know, practices. And the judge was his buddy, and it was thrown out of court. Wow! Um, and since he was actually, it was actually a federal agency, so it would have been the same judge. Whoever sued him got the same judge.
0: That's remarkable. Yeah. R- Rachel so Pollack is with us.
1: Uh, is, you know, lawsuit.
0: Rachel Pollack, world-renowned expert on the tarot and author of Seventy-Eight Degrees of Wisdom, which is described around the world as the Bible. Of Tarot readers, at what point d- did this become not just a di- a diversion uh, for you, Rachel, when you actually believed that tarot is it works it mm. it 's a useful tool for divination
1: well, pretty early on when I started like really helping my friends you know see things and understand things and found it you know helped me too to guide me in certain choices and things, um, it just seemed so. From the moment I saw it, it was this amazing experience. Actually, um, I was teaching at a college. Um, well, this was 19, early 1970, and this teacher said, "Oh, would you like your tarot cards read?" I said, "Okay, sure." I knew nothing about it, and as soon as I saw them, I just thought, "I have to have this. This is amazing." I, you know, I remember nothing of what she said about the reading. So It wasn't the reading; it was the cards themselves. They just called to me with this really powerful kind of message.
0: Well, ad- admittedly, I mean, the, the pictograms are uh, provocative and, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, impressionistic, yeah. which is obviously the whole, the whole point to it. They have to be impressionistic, uh, but they're also uh, quite beautiful. And, and I didn't realize that, that you can have sort of individual, personalized tarots made. And, and um, you wrote the text for the tarot cards for Salvador Dali?
1: Not exactly what that. I wrote. a book about it after they came out. Okay. Uh, I was commissioned by a publisher. Um, unfortunately, I, you know, I tried to reach Dolly for comments, but he was too old and frail at that point. Um, that was fascinating work, though, because it was, you know, it was so interesting how he did it and how he chose the pictures. Um, so I've actually, but I also have written. Um, I collaborated with a German artist, named Hermann Heindel who was a brilliant artist. And yes, he had done most of his pictures, but then by the time I met him, he was not not finished. I got to have some influence on some of the later pictures. And we worked together very, very intensely. We spent weeks going over every picture.
0: So he would do his version of the death card, or his version yeah, of the yeah. devil, or I, I would love to see Salvador Dali's deck. That it's must be beautiful. absolutely I, wild. It,
1: you know, online, I'm sure. Must I'm sure be wild. It's quite expensive. Um, and the book I did is probably more expensive now because it's very rare. There's not a lot of copies around.
0: 78 Degrees of Wisdom, Parts 1 and 2. I mean, that has become
1: as I say, the Bible, uh, uh, for tarot readers. Mm. Yeah, that's something I've heard all over, from people all over the world. they just not you know not copying each other. People just say, to me, "Oh, I just think of this as a Bible of tarot readers. I've heard that from store owners. I've heard that from just people who bought the book. I've heard that from professional tarot readers, you know. It's just that uh, that book's had a huge impact, actually. It's very, How it's
4: do
1: very you... special for me to have written something. It's had this... Such a gigantic impact in a a community that's important to me
0: how how do you use the tarot for you personally in everyday life i mean uh, do you make all of your decisions based on the tarot no no no? No, not at all how does it work for you
1: yeah in fact sometimes i'll avoid using it i have to make say you know a serious medical decision because i did because then i just might scare myself you know right right we talked about the death card not meaning death but if you have If you're facing a medical issue, a death card comes up, you kind of freak out. So, no, but what I'll do often, though, is I'll just do three cards for the day and see what shows up, you know?
0: I don't want to put you on the spot here, but maybe after the... We'll be heading into a break in about four or five minutes. Do you have a tarot handy? Sure. Just maybe... It might be useful. I don't want to be, you know, too self-indulgent here, but it might be useful just as a demonstration for those not familiar with tarot. Could we do a few cards for me?
1: We can. Yeah, yeah. It's... It's more difficult, it would be good if you had a deck, but we can do them, you know, connection over the phone like this, over the radio.
0: Oh, traditionally, both the, the person...
1: Well, traditionally, the person getting the reading shuffles the deck. Right. So it's his energy, but I've done it this way before, and it's worked really well.
0: All right, why don't we do that okay, uh, in, in a few moments. Rachel okay. Pollock is with us, the author of 78 Degrees of Wisdom, Parts uh, 1 and 2. Uh, now, uh, throughout history... You know, we know that uh, certain world leaders were very interested in uh, the occult.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, numerology, of course, played a huge role in the, in the Reagan White House. We're told that, that mm-hmm. Nancy Reagan uh, rarely made you know, decisions without uh, in, in numerology in terms of planning uh, uh, Ron, Ronald Reagan's uh, itinerary and so forth. Uh, do, do you know of any world leaders uh, from history or even currently who, who are, are, are big fans of the tarot?
1: You know, I don't offhand, but I think that that's partly because has always had a bit of an unsavory reputation, and I think they wouldn't want to admit it.
0: Why is that? Why does it have an unsavory reputation?
1: I don't know. It's interesting. I think because it's... It, you know, if you think of astrology, astrology is about the planets and stars. People understand that, so that makes sense to them. But if you think of just a bunch of, you know, sort of bright pictures on cards telling you something meaningful about your life, it's a bit scary. And then somehow, some strange ideas have come up about the tarot over the years, you know? Including the idea that they come from the devil, maybe because there's a picture called the devil. But they're actually very Christian. And that's why there's a devil, because the devil is an important uh, issue. Now, that's you know.
0: interesting, because I was going to ask you whether there's, you know, the, the, if anyone is of the Christian persuasion, whether they should be uh, avoiding the tarot. But you're saying the roots of tarot. Mm-hmm. Are in part Christian. Tell me more about that.
1: Well, because the those 14th century, like 15th century symbols, were um, Christian symbols. You know, there's like um, the Last Judgment, to which the dead rise up. Um, there's a pope. There's a they're usually called a female pope, or the high priestess. But she also could be like you know, an abbess from a nunnery. So it's a very Christian kind of set of images. Um, and somehow though the ideas developed, I'm not sure from where, that it's actually some, something satanic, but there's no evidence of that whatsoever. Um, and I think it's, it's also, some people just have a fear of divination. The idea that somehow you can tell, learn about the future is very scary to people.
0: Well, the, I mean, the, the Bible does sort of warn against that, doesn't it?
1: Yes, it does, but it also has diviners, you know? Joseph, um, the son of Jacob, and the... In the in the Old Testament, um, is a diviner. That's one of his main things in life. Um, and he's called that. He's very specific. Now, he just doesn't just interpret dreams, he also uses a cup. He divines by looking in a cup. And then there's Daniel, who interprets dreams, and so on. So it's actually, you know, it's a mixed message. And the prophets, of course, predict the future, too. So the question I'm, I'm Jewish, I think of it something, you know, how do Jews look at it? And the Jewish point of view is that. It's not a matter of um, whether prediction's is true or not. It's a matter of whether it's spiritually beneficial. And so as a tarot reader, and most tarot readers I know have the same attitude, You know, we're, we're very concerned that whatever we tell somebody is of their benefit. That it helps them, at this moment, helps them in their path on life. It frees them rather than restricts them. These are important, you know, these important values.
0: Uh, is there a connection? You mentioned you're, you, that, that you are a Jew. Is there a connection between uh, the Tarot and
1: the Kabbalah? Well, this is a very big thing that's going on for quite some time now, about a couple hundred years. There's probably no historical evidence that the Kabbalah was the inspiration for the Tarot. But if you think of how it just fits so perfectly, because in Kabbalah, everything is about the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and there were 22 of these so-called major arcana cards. Then, also in Kabbalah, there's the Tree of Life, which has ten positions on it. Then you have the Suits, which has ten positions, or, you know, ace through ten. And then there's also, in Kabbalah, um, the four-letter name of the Divine, the most sacred name in the Bible. And then there are four court cards. Um, so, it just all fits together so perfectly. It almost seems impossible that it's not connected, you know. But, this, this, This way of looking at it developed over the last 200 years. And now it's completely entwined in the tarot.
0: All right, Rachel, stay put. We'll uh, take a time out, come back. We'll open up the phone lines, questions, or comments regarding the tarot. We've got the world-renowned expert right here for you. Rachel Pollack is the author of 78 Degrees of Wisdom, Parts 1 and 2, and uh, about a dozen other books regarding the tarot. Back with more, including... My own tarot reading, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Next week on The Conspiracy Show, award-winning documentary filmmaker, best-selling author Rob Skiba discusses aliens in the Bible. We'll delve into who or what is an archon. Who are the Nephilim? How did they return both before and after the flood? Who are the sons of Anak, and where did they come from? How tall were the giants the Hebrew spies saw that made them feel like grasshoppers by comparison? Why should we be concerned about the act of mixing animal and human DNA? And why did Jesus say that the last days would be like the days of Noah? That's Rob Skiba right here on The Conspiracy Show uh, next week. Right now, we are continuing our discussion uh, about the tarot with Rachel Pollack, author of uh, about a dozen books on the tarot. And uh, she, of course, is a world-renowned expert and the author of 78 Degrees of Wisdom, which is described around the world as the Bible of tarot readers. All right, uh, Ra- Rachel, here's where I get a little self-indulgent, and we're sure. going gonna to do a little uh, of, of my uh, tarot reading here. Okay. So how do we begin this? How does this happen?
1: Well, the first thing is, you have a question or is an issue that you want to look at?
0: All right. Um, let's, uh, let's see. Uh, how about, uh, well, finances are always an issue. Uh, so, you know, h- h- how, how do you see my financial situation unfolding over the next uh, year?
1: Okay, okay. So I've mixed the cards um, during the break, and I'm going to cut them into three piles and then put them back together again with the bottom pile on top Is the traditional method. Okay, these um, are face down. And we'll see what we get. Okay, okay. Um, Okay, So let's do do three cards to start Hmm. The Four of Wands Which is a very joyous card The Ten of Swords Which is an unhappy card
4: Mm.
1: Um, And the Page of Pentacles So what I'm seeing here is The Four of Wands Looks like everything is great You know Celebration, joy, happiness But then something goes wrong Um, The Ten of Swords is a setback It's a setback that you, you worry too much about. Um, the Ten of Swords is a very extreme picture. It's a, it's a man with ten swords stuck in his back. But often it means... <laughs> hey, I work in
0: radio. I'm used to that.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but often it means hysteria rather than actual harm. Okay. You know, I, I don't want to exaggerate, but it's, you know, worry, over-worry. That's me. Yeah. So, after that, those two extremes of, like, everything going wonderfully and then suddenly, like, there's some setback. Right we get a card called the page of pentacles and pentacles are often about money. So that's like, you know, stepping back, looking at things, um, maybe being a bit more cautious of investments. Let see what comes after that. Um, oh. and then the eight of pentacles, which is working hard. So it may be that some investment, um, doesn't work out and you take a fresh look and then you have to build up, you know, your portfolio, whatever. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just working hard at it and getting somewhere. And then the Emperor card comes up. It's also number four, like the first four of wands. So that's like getting back in control. So that's like, you know, by not letting that setback throw you, you work hard and you're back in control and, you know, really um, back in charge of things. And then one more card, was so like three, two, one, is a card called Temperance, which shows an angel pouring water from one cup to another. And it's the card that comes after death, so it's a kind of like a rebirth card. Um, so it's a fourteen. Four is connected to the four is the emperor. This is fourteen, and um, temperance is about being very balanced and steady. So it says that, like you know, after whatever that setback was, after the fight to get back control of everything and feeling strong again, you learn the lesson of not going to too, not going to extremes. Temperance is like the middle way. Right, right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, th- th- very telling, because I do, uh, I-, I think I would, I think it's safe to say I have general anxiety about most things. Uh, and so, yeah, perhaps it's telling me I've got to step back and relax a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and everything will turn out well in the end. Uh, is that uh, a well, fair that summation?
1: The, yeah, what I'd say is I would caution you against over-optimism and then over-pessimism. Because those first two cards, they, like, swing wildly right. The Four of Wands says, oh, everything is just perfect, everything is wonderful, and there's Ten of Shorts, everything is a disaster. So then it becomes a question of stepping back, looking at what the reality is, working hard, getting back control of everything, and then just settling down. And typically
0: when you do a tarot reading, how many, car- how many, how- how many cards deep do you go? I mean, you went, what, about a half dozen cards there with me?
1: Um, yeah. I just did a three-two-one pattern.
0: A three-two-one pattern. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um, three cards and two, then one, just, that's just the way it came out. Cause it seemed like there was another step to be taken at each point, you know? Right, right. But I'll do, uh, you know, um, there's a reading I tend to do, it's a very famous one called the Celtic Cross. The Celtic which Cross. Which is ten cards.
0: Ten cards, okay. So what
1: I do is I'll often start out with that, but before I do the reading, I have a discussion with the person about their issues. Um, you know, if you come to me, we might go into more of a discussion about your finances and more, you know, detailed stuff. And I would write down everything you say, you know? Right, Um, right. And then after the 10 cards giving us a general view, I would turn over two or three cards for everything you said. And sometimes we end up doing the entire deck, which is quite amazing, you know?
0: Well, this was, this was very instructive. I, I think it was useful doing this, uh, this demonstration, and yeah. uh, I certainly have some takeaways, some things to think about. Rachel, uh, stay put. We'll uh, continue sure. our discussion. Rachel Pollack is the author of 36 books of fiction and nonfiction, including two award-winning novels, and, of course, 78 Degrees of Wisdom, a world-renowned expert on the tarot. I'm back with more of my conversation with Rachel right here on The Conspiracy Show, and perhaps we'll have time to work in a call or two. Stay with us. Welcome back. Rachel Pollack stays with us as we discuss the tarot and uh, receiving some emails here. Rachel and Beth in Aurora wants to know whether a tarot deck has to be given has to be given to me before I can work with it.
1: No, I don't know where that idea came from either. You know, some people say given, or you have to steal it, which is a really weird idea. I was once told um, by a tarot publisher that. Bookstores kept tarot decks under lock and key because people believed they were supposed to steal it. You know?
0: It's like Abby Hoffman's book, Steal This Book. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs>
1: yeah. But um, the fact is that you know, I bought my first tarot deck and most of the other ones I had, so I had about 600 tarot decks and I bought all of them pretty much. Well, actually, some of them were gifts, but anyway. No, no, you don't have to wait for someone to give it to you.
0: All right, and now we have uh, someone, I think it's Genevieve. Uh, Genevieve in Buffalo. Is asking about now. I don't understand this, uh, but I've come to the right person. Something about a switch of the eighth and eleventh card. Uh, the old decks, yeah. the eighth card is Justice, the eleventh card is Strength, and now in many in many modern decks, mm-hmm. the order has been reversed. Right.
1: And... Yeah. What happened with that is uh, I don't want to go into all the details of it, but it had to do with um, a group of people who were very dedicated to the study of Tarot and they wanted to link it to astrology and it made more sense to have the eighth card strength which shows a woman taming a lion be leo and the eleventh card justice that i think is virgo something like that. i'm not sure might be wrong about that um but the point is it was just the way the order of things fell in the um you know constellations and planets in astrology but i actually find it extremely meaningful because the eleven is the middle point of the deck so to me having justice at the exact center is very meaningful and important. It says that, you know, you have, this is the point to which you have to balance everything. You have to balance the scales so you can't go further in life. And I think that's an important message, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. But I have to tell you something uh, that I was thinking about this emperor cards that came out in your reading. Um, I was in a bookstore once uh, giving a talk about tarot, and, you know, people wanted, like, quick one-card readings. So is that the possible? owner said, um, what can we do to improve the city that she was in, um, the city of Newburgh, New York, which was having some tough times. So there was one card, that was the emperor. And so I jokingly said to her, you have to take over the city. You have to become the emperor of Newburgh. <laughs> and afterwards, someone said to me, um, you know that she's running for mayor?
0: There you are. Did she win?
1: <laughs> I just thought that was wonderful. Did she win? No, unfortunately not. Mm. But... Um, I mean, the cards thing. If she had one, if she had become (laughs) emperor, the mayor, then she could have improved things.
0: Yeah. Uh, William is in Aurora, just north of Toronto, and he wants to know: Is there a code of ethics for tarot card readers?
1: Some people make their own. There's um, some various, you know, tarot associations and tarot guilds do put together a code of ethics. Some of them say you should do your own code of ethics and you know display it. But in general, most tarot readers agree on a whole bunch of things: that you don't manipulate. You don't lie. You don't do like you know con artist kind of tricks. Um, you don't you don't take over someone's life. You don't scare people. You know the basic ethical position of most tarot readers that I know, at least, is that you try to be helpful. You try to help people move forward in their lives rather than take over their lives in some way.
0: Do you think tarot can predict the future?
1: Well, it's you know it certainly has in certain situations. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't bet on it. See what I mean? You know? And so if somebody comes to me with a question about the future that's really important, like, for instance, whether or not to have a surgery, you know, I would say to this person, you should never make a decision based on a tarot reading like that. Um, But here's what the tarot says. So I, I will say what the tarot says, but I'll say to them, you know, you need to speak to doctors, you need to, you know, do your research. You should never let any kind of divination be your only way that you make a decision.
0: And can you do tarot on yourself, or should you have someone else do it?
1: It took me a while to be able to do that, but now I do it all the time for myself. So there's not a rule about it. It's, it's a little difficult because you, you, know, you tend to give yourself simplistic answers. You tend to panic more easily. You tend to think everything is perfect more easily. Um, but after you've been doing it for a while, you, you know, everybody does tarot for themselves.
0: What makes a good tarot reader?
1: I think it's someone that has the ability to respond to images and to intuition.
0: Is that a right brain, left brain skill?
1: Well, I guess it's a, primarily, I guess, right brain, left side of the body, you know, intuitive side, you know? But it's also the creative side, I'm not sure what part of the brain is the creative side. Because basically, a tarot reading is like a story. You know, you're inspired by the pictures and by your intuition and by what the person is asking about. All these things come together to produce a kind of um, story of the person's life that the person you know, will find meaningful, hopefully. Uh,
0: what about these... Uh, I understand that there are tarot computer programs. Do they mm-hmm. actually work? Or how do they work?
1: I'm, you know, I'm, I personally like the feeling of human beings touching with physical cards. <laughs> but the way they work is there's a randomizing algorithm, so you know you you click on it, and then it goes blip 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 and brings up say three cards, which have been chosen supposedly at random. Even though some, you know, some people say there's no such thing as random, but more or less random, you know. Um, and then there's an official interpretation that the person who made the program has written for each card, and some of the better ones will have the meaning in terms of love, the meaning in terms of finances. Meaning in terms of work, meaning in terms of spiritual path, and so on. But what they can't do is combine them. You know the way I did the reading for you, in which I combine the pictures. Right, right. You know, yes. Because you know, there are seventy-eight cards. You can just imagine the millions of possible combinations. So that's the limit of computer programs. But also, I just feel there's something about the human connection. That's very meaningful.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Is there, a, uh, I mean, these, some of these cards have numbers, mm-hmm. uh, but is there, are you employing numerology w- w- in combination with tarot, or do, do the numbers, is it something quite apart and different from numerology?
1: Tarot has its own numerology to some extent. It's a little different than what we call classical numerology. A friend of mine uh, who's also a tarotist is a numerology person, she knows it very much more than me. But one thing I picked up, you know, studying with her and learning with her, is that it doesn't quite match. The numbers aren't quite the same, you know? So you have to kind of get into the tarot numbers.
0: And do you find that people that are into tarot, are they also into things like classical numerology, uh, astrology?
1: A lot of them are, not all, yeah. How about you? Um, I've, you know, I've picked up things on astrology from friends, so I know a fair amount of it. But I'm not an astrologer. I wouldn't, i not. To me, what I love about the tarot, as compared to both astrology and numerology, is not fixed. You know, if you do your birth chart, it's always going to be that birth chart. Because you were born at a certain point, right? Right. Faint. And then you can progress it up to the present, as they say. You have your astrological chart for this present moment. But that's still not going to change. And so, you know, the moment changes. Whereas in tarot, it's very fluid. You know, you do another reading, you get a different point of view. And I like that constant fluidity that the tarot has. Um, So, and also, to be honest, um, I'm not someone who likes memorizing lots of things. And in numerology and astrology, you have to memorize a lot. (laughs) So, tarot, to me, is more intuitive. I mean, all my astrology friends and numerology friends are going to be screaming at me for saying that, because... I'm sure that you know, numerology is very intuitive. Well, I know it is from friends of mine, you know. Tell me about, that's the way it feels to me.
0: You, Rachel, you're a member of the Tarot Guild of Australia. I, I never would have imagined <laughs> that the, the, there is an actual guild. Tell me about that. Well, what is the Tarot Guild? a
1: great group of people. I've, I've been to Australia four times. I think I'm going again in February. Um, it's always from the guild. They sponsor me to come and teach. And um, what they did was, it was really started by two women. I guess in the 90s. And they decided they were both professional tarot readers. They decided they wanted to, you know, raise tarot to a higher level. And so they started gathering other professional people. People wanted to learn. They set up a system of learning. And they they have a code of ethics that people are expected to agree to and to post in their consulting room. Um, One thing I liked about them when I was, you know, learning about their way of doing things was that um, you had to take a test to show your you know, your level of expertise after you'd been studying for a while with a teacher. But you could choose your approach. So, for instance, if, you, if your approach was all about tarot and Kabbalah, that's what your test would be about. If it was about tarot and astrology, your test would be about that. And um, But, you know, so they just allowed people to follow their own path, but then they had to show that they were at a professional level. And it's still going. It's been going for a um, long time now. And they made me an honorary member because I came to their first uh, – they had the first international terror conference in the world, actually, uh, early 90s. And I was an invited guest, and they made me an honorary member of the Guild, which I think is wonderful. And, I, you know, I continued to have contact with them. Like I said, I'm going back for my fifth visit, and I'm in February, so- which I'm very excited about because I always wanted to, um, our summer, their winter – the winter's not very cold, so it wasn't too bad. Christmas you know? on the beach. But, but now I'm going to be going from like 10 degrees here to Fahrenheit to 90 degrees in Melbourne, Australia.
0: <laughs> there you go.
1: It's going to be an amazing experience. I'm really wondering what that will be like.
0: Rachel, final question. And, uh, you know, this is obviously we're running out of time here. But are you any closer after all these years to figuring out what is at work with, with uh, tarot? I mean, is it? Are you in contact with the divine?
1: How does this work? Well, you know, I think it's really hard to be a tarot reader for a long time and not feel there is some kind of spiritual or divine energy that allows the, the, these cards to fall in such meaningful ways. And like I said, sometimes it's, you know, general advice or something that's worthwhile. But sometimes it's unbelievable, you know. I've seen, I've, seen, I've done readings for people which have changed their lives, quite literally. Um... You know, I did a reading for someone that's very well might have saved her from being locked in a madhouse because of something her husband was doing. Um, I did a reading for someone that, you know, I can't go really into any details, but I mean, one time I did a reading for a woman in London um, where I was reading in a shop, and she had a reading and was very powerful. And then um, a friend of hers came for a reading a little later in the day and said that um, this woman wanted me to know this was the most important day of her life. Because so the reading had unlocked something that was so deep in her, that was so powerful, that it blocked her, her whole life. And then the reading just, you know, let her see what it was.
0: That's remarkable. Very gratifying.
1: Yeah, yeah it was, you know, it's wonderful to have those experiences.
0: Rachel, thank you for this.
1: Thank you. I enjoyed talking with you. Thank you
0: very much. RachelPollock.com is the website. RachelPollock.com. My thanks to uh, Tim Spreen for technical production. My story producer is Albert Vinzel back next week. Hope you'll be aboard for that. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark speak in the light, what I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.
1: Happy birthday to you. Hey, Bye. where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow.
3: So, can we cut the cake now?
1: You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See Specsavers.ca.